0: I will be reading from Genesis 22 verses 1 through 14. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. After these things God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, "'Stay here with the donkey,' The boy and I will go over there, we will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, Father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. On the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The word of God for the people of God. Be to God. Well,
1: the reading that Jane just shared with us is one of the most difficult and one of the heaviest uh, stories in all of Scripture. And as as she was reading. I had the thought, it should be a rule in the church that, that that particular passage from Scripture should only ever be read when it's accompanied by the sound of children in, in the church. Um, it takes that story out of the, the realm of, of dusty books uh, and, and uh, helps us to understand exactly what the stakes are in that story and what is, what is truly happening. Thank you, church, for being a place that makes room for the wiggles and the giggles of the children. They, uh, they also make joyful noises to God and they also worship So we did something a little bit different this week. Uh, uh, During our Faith at the Movies series every year, we go out to the the theater and we see the newest movies, whatever has just been released, whatever is in the theaters. But this week we did something a little bit different. This week, instead of going to see a, a new movie, we went to see an old movie. On Thursday night, we went out to the theater for a special 30th anniversary screening of the movie Groundhog Day. Now, Groundhog Day is a comedy. It stars Bill Murray as a cynical and self-centered TV weatherman named Phil Connors. And Phil Connors is a middle-aged man who never really grew up. He is constantly inappropriate. He doesn't think twice about hurting other people's feelings. In fact, he hardly thinks about other people at all. Uh, Phil Connors is convinced that his job at a TV station in Pittsburgh is beneath him. And he hates, he absolutely hates every year when it comes to the beginning of February and the TV station sends him on a mission to the small town of Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania to cover the annual Groundhog Day festivities. Uh, In Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, every year people gather at a place called Gobbler's Knob and they take out a groundhog named Punxsutawney Phil and, and the tradition goes, if the groundhog sees his shadow, there's going to be six more weeks of winter. If he doesn't, then spring is on its way. And absolutely none of that is important or relevant to the plot of the movie, Groundhog Day. What, what is important to the plot of the movie is not the groundhogs. What's important to the plot is this. Phil Connors goes to Punxsutawney. He spends a miserable day in a place that he hates with people he despises. At the end of the day, he's just glad that he has survived another Groundhog Day and he won't have to do this again for another year. He goes to sleep and when he wakes up the next morning, his alarm clock goes off and he discovers that instead of being February 3rd like it's supposed to be, it is once again February 2nd. He is once again awakened on the morning of Groundhog Day. And Phil has a very confusing day that's filled with a feeling of deja vu as he sees people doing the exact same things and hears people saying the exact same things that they did and they said the day before. He gets through that very confusing day. He goes to bed at the end of yet another Groundhog Day and he wakes up the next morning to discover that once again, instead of February 3rd, it is February 2nd. It's Groundhog Day Again, And Phil realizes that he is stuck in some kind of a strange and seemingly endless time loop no matter what he does every morning when he wakes up. It is the morning of that same day, February 2nd, Groundhog Day. One of the things I love about this movie One of the reasons that this movie works so well is that we never find out how or why Phil Connors got stuck in this time loop. In fact, the movie almost didn't get made because the film studio said to the writers, you have to give people some sort of an explanation. We're not going to make this movie unless you give people some sort of a reason for why Phil Connors is stuck in this endless loop where every day he wakes up and it's Groundhog Day. And so the writers kicked around some ideas They thought, well, maybe it could be the result of some kind of a curse, or maybe it could be a science experiment that's gone wrong. They, They wrote all of these different scenarios, and they didn't like any of them. And so eventually what they did was they scheduled filming for that part of the movie at the very end of their shooting schedule, and their hope was that they would run out of time and they just wouldn't have to film that part of the movie. And it worked, and I am so glad that none of those dumb ideas ever made it into the movie, Because that allows us to focus on what's really important in this film. The important thing in this movie, the question at the heart of this movie is what is Phil Connors going to do? How is he going to respond? How will he react when he discovers That he has been given seemingly eternal life, an endless amount of time, and absolutely no consequences to any of his actions. No matter what he does for good or for bad, at the end of every day, the slate is wiped clean, and he wakes up again, and it's Groundhog Day, and he gets to start... All over. And the question at the heart of this movie is what is Phil Connors going to do? In my heart, in my mind, this movie has always been about a test. It's been about the testing of Phil Connors. And we don't know who is giving the test. We don't know why the test is being given. We don't even know what the object of the test is. I only remember when I watched this movie for the first time back in the 1990s, I had this feeling that if Phil could just get it right one time, if he could just live this day in the right way even once, then he could get unstuck and time could start moving forward again. This movie is about a test. Have you ever felt like you were being tested? Maybe you have. Lots of us have. A few years ago, I took a group of confirmation students on a visit to, uh, to one of the Islamic centers in the area. And while we were there, we got to talk to the imam. The, the imam is sort of like the pastor of the mosque. The imam is a sort of religious scholar. And the imam explained his view of what Islam is all about to our, our students in this way. He said, in Islam, this is how we view life in this world. He said, we believe that everything, every circumstance, every moment in life is a kind of a test. And God is always watching to see how we will respond to what this world gives us. If you're poor in this world, then that's a test. If you've been given wealth in this world, that is also a test. If you have an illness, that's a test. If you have good health, that's a test. And he could have said, but he didn't. He could have said, if you get stuck in an inexplicable and eternal time loop on Groundhog Day, that is also a test. That is also a test. God is always watching to see how you will respond. What will you do with what this world has given you? I can remember thinking at the time, I can see how that mindset would lead somebody to live a beautiful and contented sort of life. Can you imagine how your life would change if instead of focusing on your circumstances and the things that happened to you, always what your focus was on is how you're going to respond, how you're going to find a faithful way through whatever is happening to you in that moment. I can see how that sort of an attitude would lead somebody to leave a a beautiful and a contented and peaceable sort of life. I can remember thinking also in that moment, I can see how that sort of a mindset would lead to some powerful neuroses. I can see how this feeling that God is constantly testing you and that God is constantly watching to see what you're going to do could lead somebody to to fear God and to resent God and maybe even to hate God. I'm still not sure how I feel about this, this idea that our Muslim neighbors have, that, that we're constantly being tested as we make our way through this world. But even I have got to admit that, that this idea of testing, it's part of our own faith tradition as well. You know, as we read the Bible, one of the things that we learn about God is that our God is a testing God. There are these moments in the story of the Bible, there are these moments in Scripture over and over again when God gives the great heroes of the faith some sort of a a test. God throws something at them just to see how they're going to respond. In our Scripture reading just a moment ago, we heard about one of the most famous of all of those moments of testing. Our story this morning is the story of the testing of Abraham. Abraham is a pivotal figure in the Bible story. In the book of Genesis... God looks at this sin-sick and busted-up world, and God tries to figure out, how am I going to save this world? How am I going to heal this world of the sin-sickness that has taken hold? And God realizes very quickly in the book of Genesis that there's not going to be any kind of quick and easy solution to the brokenness of this world. There's not going to be a quick and easy way to save this world. And so God decides to play the long game God says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to choose one family from all of the families in this world. And I'm going to walk beside them. And if they trust in me, I will walk beside them generation after generation. And I will teach them my way. And through them, I will bless the nations. And through them, I will heal the world. The the people God chooses for this mission are a couple named Abraham and Sarah. And there's something wonderfully unlikely about Abraham and Sarah. They're really the absolutely last people that you would want to choose for this project. Abraham and Sarah are an elderly couple and they have never been able to have any children. But God says to them, if you trust in me and if you walk with me, I will give you this gift. I will make you the parents of a great nation. And sure enough, time goes by and eventually Abraham and Sarah, they have a son. And they name him Isaac, and they rejoice at this gift. They rejoice at this great blessing that God has given them in their later years. And then comes the test. For reasons that are known only to God, God decides to test the faith of Abraham. And so one day God says, Abraham, I want you to do something for me. I want you to take your son Isaac up that mountain. At the top of the mountain, I want you to build an altar. And then I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac on that altar as an offering to me. And then in one of the most chilling and horrifying and unthinkable moments in all of Scripture, Abraham says, okay. And he takes Isaac up the mountain and he builds an altar. And just as he is about to sacrifice Isaac on the altar, an angel of the Lord appears and the angel says, Wait, stop. God has seen enough, Abraham. God no longer requires you to sacrifice your son. And instead, God provides a ram for Isaac to sacrifice there at the top of the mountain. This story has been a favorite story of Christian preachers for 2,000 years now. Only God knows how many pastors have preached sermons on this story on Sunday mornings through the centuries. It doesn't really matter how many sermons have been preached about this story because almost all of those sermons say exactly the same thing. Isn't it a miracle that Abraham was able to have such great faith? Abraham was willing to give God even that thing that meant the most to him in this world. Wouldn't it be incredible if all of us could have that kind of faith? Let's all pray together that we will have the faith of Abraham. We have heard that story so many times, and some of us have even preached that that story so many times, that it can be shocking to discover that there is a whole other way of reading this story. There are people who don't believe that this story is calling us to have the faith of Abraham. As a matter of fact, there are people, there are religious scholars who believe that Abraham didn't pass this test at all. Our Jewish friends, the rabbis, believe that Abraham failed this test. Our Jewish friends, the rabbis, noticed something about this story a long time ago. They noticed that at the beginning of this story, God speaks directly to Abraham. But at the end of the story, God speaks to Abraham through an angel. As a matter of fact, the rabbis say, before this moment, God speaks directly to Abraham many times. But after this moment, God never speaks directly to Abraham again. After this moment, God only ever speaks to Abraham through an angel or some other messenger. And this could be a sign, the rabbis say, that Abraham didn't pass his test after all it may be that God was not looking for somebody who was willing to sacrifice another human being on an altar for God. In fact, the rabbis say if that's what God wanted, if that's all that God was looking for, God could have chosen from any number of people in the world at that time because there were plenty of people in the world at that time who were willing to take another human life in the name of God. There were even people in the world back then who would have been happy to sacrifice their own children on an altar for God. People had been sacrificing their children on altars to pagan gods for hundreds of years. And it wouldn't have been remarkable at all for God to find someone in the world at that time who was willing to do what Abraham was willing to do. The rabbis also point out that we probably haven't come as far in this respect as we think we have. All we have to do is read the news to see that the world is still filled with people who are happy to kill in the name of God. And the world is even still filled with people who are happy to sacrifice their own children for a religion, or for a cause, or for a country. And the rabbis tell us there's nothing remarkable about being willing to kill for God. What would have been remarkable is if God had found somebody who was willing to say no if God had found someone who was willing to push back, if God had found in Abraham someone who was so shaped by love and compassion, if God had found in Abraham someone who was so in tune with the moral order that has been woven into the fabric of the universe that he said, no, I refuse to take another human life, even if God is the one doing the asking, that would have been remarkable. That would have been a sign to God that the healing of the world had begun. And if that's true, if that's what God was looking for, if God was hoping that Abraham was going to push back, then the miracle in this story is not that Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac. The miracle in this story is that God didn't turn away from Abraham completely even after he failed the test. God continued to watch over Abraham. And God continued to walk with his children and his children's children, and God continues to walk with us even though we keep failing this test over and over and over again. And it may be that the good news of this story is that God will continue to walk beside us, that the God of grace and second chances will continue to watch over us through as many groundhog days as it takes for us to finally put down our weapons and turn the other cheek and get it right. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for the faith of Abraham. We pray today not that you would give us the faith of Abraham, but that you would give us the heart of Jesus. Jesus who turned the other cheek, Jesus who refused to burn this world, Jesus who forgave his enemies even as he died on the cross. God, make us the kind of people who are unwilling to kill, even if we believe that you are the one doing the asking. In Jesus we pray. Amen.